guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. We have a big week coming up, Mandy. We do. I am so excited. We'll be in CrimeCon, at CrimeCon, next week. Sort of in, sort of at. You know, it's a state of mind. We'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) CrimeCon is wherever you want it to be in your heart. Yeah, we're super excited, super anxious. I am just telling Mandy how like amped up I am right now and just lots of things going through my head. Really going to be great to meet everyone. I'm sure it won't be weird for anyone having to meet us. Mandy will be nice and calm and I will be literally tweaking out the entire time. So that's pretty Well, I don't know about nice and calm. I mean, just really giggly and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She'll (laughs) giggle a lot. There you go. Yeah, nervous giggling. Yeah, but we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, so we're excited to meet you guys there. Mandy, do we have any announcements this month? Oh, this week. What am I talking about? We did just record our Patreon episode for May, and we've published it because it's June now when you're listening. It is on the first three episodes of Jailbirds from Netflix. If you haven't watched that, What are you even doing with your life? You don't even know what toilet talking is. Yeah, Melissa got me to watch this and I have been loving it. So yeah, it's like a reality thing that I love. Oh my gosh, I push these things so hard and then people come back and tell me, I love that. And I love when you're going to, I'm going to see you recommend it to somebody online and be like, (laughs) no, (laughs) give credit where credit is due, Mandy. All right, let's get started. Let's do this. This week's episode is about two outwardly perfect families from a seemingly ideal town. They were next door neighbors and the best of friends. Their youngest children were best friends and often played baseball all together in the evenings. They vacationed together and even worked together at one time. But being together all the time can sometimes be too much of a good thing. Two of them were harboring a big secret, one that would tear these two families apart completely. And before it was all over, one of them would end up losing their life. In 2005, high school sweethearts David and Kay Parsons, along with their nine-year-old son, had moved to an idyllic neighborhood in the town of Grovetown, Georgia, a suburb just outside of Augusta. And Melissa is going to tell us all about Grovetown, Georgia in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Thank you, Mandy. Grovetown is the... (laughs) I know. I didn't really (laughs) quite know how to intro into that, and that's what we're going with this week. So Grovetown is the largest city in Columbia County with an estimated population of 12,400. The interesting thing is the population of Grovetown has actually doubled since the 2000 census. So it was over 5,000 back in 2000, and now they're over 12,400. It's quite a booming little town. So one of the most notable residents of Grovetown is not actually human, not an animal either, but it is the home of the John Deere Commercial Products, which manufactures lawn and garden tractors and other gardening equipment. Seeing as Grovetown is a pretty small town and I'm already bringing up tractor manufacturing plants, I'll cast my net a little further and talk about the big town nearest Grovetown. That town is Augusta. Augusta, Georgia is the second largest city in Georgia and was twice declared the capital of Georgia, but Atlanta is now the capital. George Walton, who was the youngest signer of the Declaration of Independence, called Augusta home. He was just 35 years old when he signed the Declaration of Independence. What have I done with my life? I've done nothing. (laughs) He went on to do even more. And at 35, he was like, I'm just going to sign this paper here. Whatever. You know, call me if you need anything. Lastly, one of the most notable residents is the godfather of soul music, Mr. James Brown. And I'm going to close it here, Mandy, but there appears to be a mosquito flying around my office. Ow! I'm okay, everyone. I feel good. 
I knew that I would now. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Please tell me you know that song. Otherwise, I know the song. I was a little confused when you first started going into it. Because I look like I'm hallucinating. I, <laughs> <laughs> I could not think of an ending. It just sometimes I just end up making up mosquitoes in my office. So please, <laughs> dear God, let's move on. That's amazing. So David had recently retired from a successful career in the Army, and Grovetown was really a place where mostly active and retired military lived. So the whole family looked forward to just being able to settle down in one place after moving around about every three to four years, which I imagine is just absolutely exhausting. I actually moved around a ton as a kid. I didn't have, I wasn't from a military family, but my dad's job had him moving around quite a bit. So about every two years we would move to a new place. So it was very, I mean, I ended up liking it. Like, you know, as I got older, I appreciated moving around like that. But as a kid, I can see that that would be kind of hard because you're just picking up, making new friends. You have to leave and say goodbye. Yeah, it'd be really tough. The Parsons moved next door to the Sears family. Tony and Rebecca or Becky had a much different background than the Parsons. Becky had been a lifelong resident of Georgia. She had also been married once before. Tony was Becky's second husband, and she was previously married to a man named Eddie, with whom she had two sons named Michael and Christopher. After getting married, Tony and Becky went on to have three more boys of their own, making Becky the queen of her castle. The youngest of the Sears boys became really close with Kay and David's son, which was really perfect since they, you know, they had now a built-in best friend right next door. All of the younger boys were avid baseball players who all played on the same team and could be seen practicing together most evenings. Both Kay and Becky loved being baseball moms, and they became best of friends really fast. They did absolutely everything together, including joining Weight Watchers together, which they were very competitive about. Becky even got Kay an office job in the physical therapy office where she was the office manager. Their husbands, David and Tony, also got along very well. They weren't as close as the wives, but they shared their military background and some similar interests. While David worked close to home, Tony was gone a lot for his job as a long-haul trucker, and this created tensions between him and his wife, especially with having these three young sons at home. I'm watching 90 Day Fiance, and on 90 Day Fiance right, <laughs> right now. Right now? While yes. we're <laughs> Right now, while, while we're, we're recording. <laughs> and Andre on there, but his fiance calls him, or his wife now calls him Andre, and she doesn't need to do that, but her name is Elizabeth. Andre will not become, he wanted to become a long haul trucker and now he doesn't. But when he had this interview, you realize, oh my gosh, he could be gone for 26 days at a time. Like they can be gone a really long time. I don't think I realized the length of that, but it was like, you could be gone two days to 26 days. And he kind of, well, he's kind of a bum, but he, he was like, I don't really know if I can do that, but I can see how having small, small kids at home and she's got five kids total but three of these really small ones it'd be really difficult to have your husband out on the road and I know a lot of people do it and way to go way to go I tip my hat to you by 2008 Becky began to really struggle with her oldest son from her first marriage named Michael who began to have issues with drugs and had had some run-ins with the law with her husband gone on the road Becky often confided and complained to her best friend Kay Becky's relationship with her older boys was often described as closer than what you would typically see with a mother and son relationship. She seemed to coddle and enable her sons quite a bit. Despite Michael's drug problems, she allowed him to live at her home rent-free, and she even bought her second son, Christopher, his own house when he turned 18, as well as bought him motorcycles and gave him money really whenever he needed it. How do you afford two homes? I was like, wow, that's very generous. She gave both of her sons jobs at the physical therapy clinic at different times. They would clean or paint the office or do other little odd jobs that needed to be done. 
At some point, it was found that several checks had been missing from the office on a day when Michael was working. Becky was very upset, but she sat down with her boss and with her son, and Michael admitted to taking the checks and stealing around $800 from the office. The doctor said that he would not press charges against Michael, but of course said that he could not work there any longer. Kay was a loving and devoted friend, and she listened and tried to help her best friend through these problems by being a shoulder to cry on. Friends said that she really adored her son and her husband, and she was always putting their needs and wants before her own. She loved being a mom and excelled in her role as a mom and wife. On March 25th, 2009, a handyman named Mitch Cozart was supposed to do some work for Kay Parsons in her backyard. When he showed up at the appointment time, no one answered the front door, so he went around the back and figured, you know, he would just start getting to work. But that's when he saw that the glass French doors off the patio had been completely smashed in. This guy literally said, I've watched TV. I am not going in there. He did not go into the home, but he sticks his head inside and he yells for Kay. Doesn't hear her. And so he decides to call her phone thinking like, hey, I need to tell her somebody's broken into her house. He gets no answer. So that's when he calls 911, who, of course, said, hey, don't go in there, which he wasn't even doing. And so he waited out front for the police. He did not obviously want to disturb anything that had happened. So all he sees is this has clearly been, you know, a burglary or something. So as he waited out front, he actually saw a young man come out from the backyard of the neighbor's house. And this was Michael Bowers, Becky's son. The handyman mentioned that the house he was supposed to work on had been broken into, and Michael said, hey, I just got home, and it looks like my house has been burglarized as well. As the police arrived and entered the home, it was obvious that this was not just a burglary. There was blood splatter in the living room and all the way to the garage where Kay Parsons was found, brutally beaten and barely alive, along with a bloody claw hammer and a baseball bat. She was transported to the hospital immediately, and police noted that the house had been completely torn apart. Everything had been ransacked. Police also checked out the Sears home when Michael told them it looked like their house had been burglarized too, and sure enough, it did look like the Parsons' home. Everything there had been torn apart as well, but no one was home during the break-in. Michael then called his mom at work to tell her what had happened to Kay and that their house had also been robbed. Becky was far more upset about Kay than the burglary of her own home, and she immediately headed to the hospital. David, who was Kay's husband, was actually away on a business trip in California when he was contacted by the police. The police said basically, like, he knew immediately something was wrong. He just, when, you know, when the police call you, he knows it's got to be something big. So he was panicked, and he got the first flight home and ran straight to the hospital to be with his wife. At the hospital, he found Becky, their neighbor and friend, and she had been there for hours, repeatedly demanding to know about Kay's condition, but she's not an immediate family member, so they're not giving her any information. Kay was not improving and was actually on life support. The next morning, David made the agonizing decision based on the doctor's advice to take his wife off of life support. Kay died shortly after. This now goes from burglary and assault to burglary and murder. Police started their investigation in the same way they usually do, which is talking to those that are closest to the victim. They questioned David, and while they knew he couldn't have actually done the crime himself because he was on his business trip, they wondered if he possibly could have hired someone to kill his wife. Sometimes you'll see in these cases where somebody, you know, maybe has a murder-for-hire situation going on, and they will conveniently be on a trip as far away as possible from where this crime is going to take place. Right. So they will have an alibi. So they were wondering, the police were wondering if that could be what was going on in this case. The police were also questioning Michael, Becky Sears' oldest son. The handyman put him at the scene just after the 911 call. And the handyman told the police that he thought the young man's demeanor was suspicious. 
Michael did have an alibi, but the alibi did change. Originally, he said that his mom dropped him off at a friend's house. But the next morning, he had told her and the police that he was going to be beginning a painting job at a house in town that day. The only problem was there was actually no painting job. Michael had lied to his mom and to the police about this, which immediately made the police suspicious. But the police did speak to the friend that he claimed he was with. And while the friend was quite talkative and really just really a character, he was able to put Michael at his house at the time of the murder. So this friend of Michael's was, I mean, a character is like the easiest word to use for it. I don't even know how to describe it. They were like, okay, what are you doing during this time? He's like, I was watching Angel on the boob tube. And they're like, okay, <laughs> you explained to me what was going on. He's like, actually, we were kind of talking. Like, this guy was like, somebody's talking to me? I'm going to tell you everything I know. And just like kept talking and talking and talking. And took a lie detector test even. And they said he failed. I don't know if he actually failed. Possibly. Because this guy just, I just think he was just so excited to be there and not watching something on the boob tube that he could just hardly contain himself. But he was an interesting person to have as an alibi witness because at first, you know, when you're first listening to him, you're kind of like, mm, I don't know if I check, you know, if your story checks out, just, I don't know. He just didn't seem very believable, almost like he w- was giving too much information. I don't know how right. to explain that, but yeah. So as for Michael's suspicious behavior, that could have been explained by the shock of coming home and finding his house ransacked, or he could be coming down off of drugs from the night before, since we already discussed earlier in the episode that he did have a problem with taking drugs. While he was in the interrogation room, the police were asking to look at his shoes, and they found glass on the bottom of them. So this was the same kind of glass that they had found broken in Kay Parsons' backyard on the day that she was murdered. Police continued their questioning and also spoke to Becky's husband, Tony, who had left for work at 4 a.m., The entire neighborhood had officers patrolling it, and anyone that came into the neighborhood or left was being checked out. Based on Becky's first statement to the police, she had seen Kay that morning as they both left to take their boys to school. Becky said that she picked up her son Christopher from his home after she took the other kids to school, and then she drove him into work, where, of course, they both worked together. They had just barely arrived at work when she got the call from her son Michael saying, oh my gosh, this terrible thing has happened, you know, you need to come home, you're your friend has been seriously injured, all of that. This timeline of Kay's activity checked out, and the police figured that after Kay dropped off her son, she went to McDonald's for coffee, and then she went home. That's when the police think that she encountered the intruder, because they noticed that her coffee was actually spilled all over the living room, where the blood had first been seen when the police walked in. Police believe that Kay may have walked in on a burglary in process, She wouldn't have immediately known that there was any kind of break-in because the intruder had smashed in the back door and she had probably entered through either the front door or through her garage. Police had also decided that the Sears home had to have been burglarized after the Parsons because there was actually blood on this back door of the Sears home, which was really kind of confusing to the police because they know in these types of situations where there's a violent home invasion, the person is going to want to get out of there pretty quickly. They're not going to say, oh, now I've, you know, beaten this woman and now I'm going to go next door, you know, and rob the house next door. That's typically not how it would work. So the police were really suspicious that they would find blood over at the next door neighbor's house. Obviously, it doesn't seem like this person wanted to run into somebody in the house. But now that you have, you would think that they wouldn't be like, you know what? Now I head next door. I'm going to go next door. This hasn't stopped me at all. I still need to get my robbing in today and goes next door. Like anybody else would just peel out of there as quickly as possible. 
Yeah. So it wasn't really adding up. And the likelihood of this crime being just two random burglaries was becoming less and less likely the deeper that they investigated this. And we have so much more to get into with this story, but we are going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is a truly affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. It's not just an improvement on existing outdated technology, but a complete reinvention of air purification. Unlike HEPA filters, Molecule destroys indoor air pollutants at a molecular level, completely removing them from the air you breathe. Molecule uses photoelectrochemical oxidation, or PICO, nanotechnology to eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. Basically, all of the icky stuff. Did you know that breathing clean air can help you sleep? Placing your molecule next to your bed clears the air you're breathing. Customers have reported feeling energized after getting the best night's sleep they've had in years. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and at checkout enter code MOMSANDMURDER. Again, for $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and at checkout, enter code Moms and Murder. And now back to the episode. So after Becky has left the hospital after Kay's death, she actually went back into work because she needed to catch up on payroll that needed to be done. When she left the clinic that evening around 8 o'clock, she was confronted by someone with a gun who demanded money. She was on the phone with a colleague at the time who reported hearing the altercation and then heard two gunshots. Becky called 911 to report the confrontation and told them that she'd been shot in both legs. Basically, this person says something like, you owe money or it's gonna, if you don't give me this money, it's going to be your head next and then shoots at her twice. So the bullets actually grazed her legs and the gunman ran off. She was checked out at the hospital but really only required minor treatment and then she was released. Police came in to talk to Becky at the hospital but said she was sort of out of it because she's in a lot of pain and on medication. And so they asked her a few questions, including whether or not her marriage was doing okay. They're just trying to, you know, throw something at the wall and see what happens. And she admitted at that time that she had a recent affair, but it was over. 
Police did not decide to push any further to find out who the affair was, you know, based on how she was doing at the hospital, but they would find out soon enough. Police were starting to grow suspicious. How was it that both these women who were best friends and neighbors were both attacked a day apart at different places by different methods? Like that is a lot to do in this town where apparently they have one murder a year and now you have almost two murders at two different locations. With two people who are so closely connected to each other. Yeah, it would just be a really, really big coincidence. Right, exactly. Their suspicions grew even more after their interrogation of Kay's husband, David. David admitted during the interrogation that he and Becky Sears had been having an affair for about six months. The pair started playing tennis together, so they had, like, they played doubles. And I guess... At one point after playing doubles, Becky texts David and said, hey, do you know why I wasn't playing well today? It's because I couldn't keep my eyes off you. Something to that sense that was like super flirty. I know, like (laughs) very to the point. And apparently he enjoyed that compliment and thus an affair, you know, ensued. So Becky really was willing to leave Tony to run off with David, but David never wanted to divorce Kay. He saw this as a physical relationship. He saw it as a fling, and there were lots of love letters between the two, but he, you know, continued to basically say, hey, I have a son at home. I don't want to change anything at my house. This can't keep going on. And he decided that the affair was actually getting too serious for him and ended the affair that February, which was just a few weeks before Kay's murder. Becky actually told her husband, Tony, about the affair. And when Tony found out, he called Kay to make sure she knew what was going on. So David said... When, you know, Kay finds out, she's obviously really upset. He comes completely clean to Kay, and they decided they were going to work through this, and they were going to recommit themselves to each other. So Kay's friendship with Becky, obviously, is way over. She wants nothing to do with her, but, of course, she they don't have this big blowout. It's just kind of like everyone knows that everyone knows in this, you know, in these four people. Her husband called, for goodness sakes. They all know, so there's no reason to have this huge fight. They just want to move on. So Kay basically just cuts Becky out of her life, and they obviously stopped socializing with each other, and Kay and David even put their house up on the market. They were trying to move out of there to start again together, and Kay really just wanted to get away from her former best friend. But just as police started questioning David, they actually got a call from a current inmate saying he had some information about Kay's attack that they thought they'd be interested in. The informant was Becky Sears' brother, Jerry Jacobs. He had seen the reports about Kay's death on the news, and he knew that this person they were talking about was his sister's next-door neighbor. He also knew about the affair that his sister was having with the victim's husband. Becky Sears didn't seem to keep the affair a secret to too many people. She actually talked about this wonderful man that she was seeing to her brother Jerry and to both of her older sons. While Jerry knew the man was David, the boys didn't know exactly who it was, but they had their suspicions. Jerry said that he and Becky would have conversations about how much she loved David and how he filled this void for her that her husband Tony couldn't fill. She went on to tell Jerry that she wished David's wife would just fall down the stairs and die. And she even went as far as to ask Jerry if he actually knew anyone or any way that she could kill Kay. Jerry refused to help her and wondered why on earth she would want Kay dead. This was supposed to be, of course, her best friend. It was the whole shooting in the parking lot of Becky's work that convinced Jerry that Becky was behind the whole thing. He knew that Becky's son Christopher had a gun that matched the description of the bullet casings that had been used to shoot her. And he used to live with Christopher and had seen this gun in his house before. 
He confirmed that Becky and Christopher's relationship was incredibly close and probably excessively so when it came to being an enabler for her son. For instance, Becky would drop everything if Christopher called and needed her and he would do the same for her. But it was really weird. He said it was kind of like he would be like, your mom's crying. What's going on? And he would talk to his mom about this affair she was having and how devastated he was and just wanted to make her feel better, which your mom's having an affair. I just can't. I that is a really weird predicament to be in. Really? Yeah, it really is. It, It is. And it's unfortunate that she's sharing all this like burdening her kids with this kind of information and her brother i thought it was really weird that she's telling her brother about this affair my brother doesn't know jack crap about my life i just can't imagine you know having that kind of a relationship i don't know maybe people do but that whole yeah this at this level i was like "Ah, i don't know that's that's a lot to tell people it is I, i completely agree the police turned their focus to Becky Sears and her son, Christopher. They tried to question Christopher, but he refused to say anything to the police and requested a lawyer. Becky, on the other hand, was more than willing to talk without any kind of legal representation. She was confronted with all the evidence against her, but she absolutely maintained her innocence. She insisted to the police that she and Tony were recommitting to their marriage and working through their problems. They questioned Becky for hours, but just over an hour into the interrogation, the tape recorder ran out of batteries. Unfortunately, they did not realize this until two and a half hours had passed. So they were missing about an hour to an hour and a half of Becky's recorded testimony. Oh, my gosh. What if you're the person in charge of batteries? What happens to you? Is that like an automatic firing? (laughs) Like, I feel like that's step one. Like, we're going to record her, right? Okay, we've got batteries in, right? Yeah, we've got batteries. That's, (laughs) I mean, these things happen, obviously. But yeah, that's that would just be the worst to be the person in charge of that and come to that realization. Like, the good news is we've gotten a lot of information. The bad news is about two hours of it isn't there. Yeah, it would be so frustrating. And we are going to finish up this story after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. Five years ago, I had my last baby. And five years ago, Casper was pretty busy as well. While both my son and Casper are legendary, my son hasn't revolutionized the mattress industry by making it easier than ever to buy a premium foam mattress, but Casper has. Today, Casper is building on that legacy with a new line of mattresses that combine the best of both worlds. Introducing the Hybrid Collection by Casper. There are claimed foam layers now available with springs. Casper's new hybrid mattresses combine the pressure relief of their award-winning foam with durable yet gentle springs. This new innovation offers the best of both worlds, luxurious comfort and resilient support. The added benefits of the hybrid collection is the elevated lift support, which allows increased airflow for cooling, because we all know that a cool night's sleep is the best night's sleep. It is also durable for all body types and has enhanced edge support. Even with springs, these mattresses still come magically in a box that simply arrive on your doorstep. Does Casper have a mattress fairy? Possibly. But we don't have an in with fairies, not even the tooth fairy. But we do know that they have bedding, bed frames, and even a glow light that helps you fall asleep. Casper really has everything you need to create the perfect sleep environment. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash moms and using moms at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Again, get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash moms and using moms at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. We are gearing up for CrimeCon this week, which means I am frantically getting everything ready to go out of town while leaving my kids and husband at home. 
while I'm washing clothes, cleaning out cars, and charging tablets. Thanks to Instacart, the one thing I don't have to worry about is grocery shopping. While I'm gone, my kids will inevitably eat every piece of fruit in the house and obviously all the cookies and snacks. And when my daughter calls me to tell me they're starving and there's no food there minus vegetables, I can easily go onto my Instacart app and order food to be delivered at the house while I'm miles away eating my own cookies and snacks in peace. I love using Instacart for those days when I just don't want to drag the kids to the grocery store or on days when I could run to the grocery store, but I'd rather scroll Reddit for just one more minute. If you're not familiar with Instacart, here's what I did. I downloaded the Instacart app, picked out my grocery store from a list available to me in my area, and put in a quick order to be shopped for and delivered to my house by a friendly Instacart shopper. The Instacart shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce, and if there are any issues with the order, they will contact you when necessary. Instacart will deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They bag them so your hot items stay hot and your cold items stay cold. Try Instacart and get $10 off your first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off your first order today at instacart.com or through the mobile app. And don't forget to enter our code MOMS10, instacart.com or through the mobile app with our code MOMS10 at checkout. Now back to the episode. So the police have now spoken to Becky and they've recorded, you know, her conversation or most of it. Batteries die. These things happen. And when the recording starts back up again, Becky was singing like a canary in a desperate attempt to save her own neck. She was actually throwing her own son, Christopher, completely under the bus. Can you imagine? No, none of this. Can I imagine? Literally none of this. But your your kid, just to get some kind of something. I, I just don't understand it. So she admits that she had told Christopher about the affair and how much she wished that she and Dave could be together without any interference from Kay. According to her, Christopher said he could make this happen if she wanted it to. She said she didn't take him up on the offer and insisted they had no formal plan. However, she told police that she didn't explicitly tell him not to do anything either. She was trying to put all this responsibility onto Christopher. According to Becky, on the morning of the murder, she went and picked up Christopher at his home and brought him back to her house very early in secret and had him hide in a bedroom upstairs so the other kids wouldn't see him. That way she can say, I went and picked him up on the way to work and... If they asked the kids, the kids would be like, yeah, he wasn't here this morning. How terrible. And so isn't that just, I I don't get it. I just don't get it. You have your little kids there knowing he's going to do something. So he would stay put until Becky left to take the kids at school. She kept saying over and over again to the police that she never meant for Kay to die and that Christopher just really did this all on her own. She kept saying things like he misunderstood her and she felt so terrible that he was actually going to do something when she didn't want it to happen. She's basically sitting there saying like, I mean, I talked about how I wanted to be with David, but I never said do anything. But he kind of talked about it, but I never said do it. And so Becky says to the police, quote, I thought that he would get scared and wouldn't even go over there. She assumed, you know, he's going to change his mind. Meanwhile, you can tell him to stop. He's your son. And if not, you could call the police or do something else. But you brought him to your house. What did you think he was going to do? Is he going to confront her and say, let my mom be with your husband? I mean, Yeah. What are the options here? I I don't get it. So continuing to contradict herself and really talk in circles, she said she didn't think he was serious about going over there like we said. Then she claimed she didn't know Christopher had ever gone over there at all until he called her and tells her to come pick him up on a different street. 
So, of course, she gets in the car and rushes to get him. And he had blood all on his face, but she said he didn't have any blood on his clothes. There was a change of clothes in a backpack in her car when she picked him up. And so he changed clothes in the car, putting his other clothes in the backpack to get rid of. So if you have no kind of thinking he's doing anything, why do you have a bag of his clothes in a backpack ready to go? Yeah, well, I feel like her story was just very... It was very obviously not a real story. Right? But I just can't even imagine saying like, oh, they're like, where did the clothes go? And she's like, well, turns out I had a backpack of his clothes because he's two and he wets his pants sometimes and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's just, it. I don't know. That part kind of just made me crazy. Like, who are you trying to fool here, lady? This is so obviously you were a part of this. Becky then drove the two of them to her work where they waited for news that something has happened, you know, at 2K. So she said that she'd repeatedly asked Christopher, what did you do? What did you do? And he responded, I beat the F out of her. Then she said Christopher admitted that he went over into their own house and tore it apart to look like they had been burglarized too. Still don't understand how that's going to help your situation. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And she claimed she kept asking him why he would do this. Why would you do this, Christopher? I never asked you to do this. That sort of thing is what she's telling the police. Knowing good and well that she was trying to get him to do this all along. So this would make Michael's reaction genuine when Michael went over and was surprised about this burglary he had no idea what was going on and he was not there when Christopher was there you know destroying their house but she even tries to put the blame on Michael she tries to act like you know he's had these problems and I don't really know where he was maybe he wasn't where he was like she the whole time was ready to just throw anyone under the bus so she wouldn't get in trouble So then it also makes you wonder, you know, if her son is saying that he like beat her up, he didn't say that he killed her. So Becky really should be like, well, maybe Kay is still alive. So then there's this whole idea of if she did have knowledge of this and she's just sitting around waiting for somebody to call and, you know, say, oh, my gosh, somebody's broken into these two homes. She could have had an opportunity still to call the police or to call 911 after she knew that her son had gone over and done this. And, you know, she doesn't know what has happened to Kay at this point, if she is alive or dead. So there was plenty of opportunity for Becky to step up and do something different than what she actually did in this case. She claimed that at the time she did, she wasn't even thinking about Kay and that all she could think about was just protecting her son and wanting to just get him out of there and get him out of this whole entire situation. So she said that she helped cover up Christopher's involvement because she just had this motherly instinct to protect her baby. But now, as we're seeing, she has no problem throwing him under the bus. No. During the interrogation, police also learned that the affair between David and Becky was not completely over. The night before Kay's murder, Becky and David actually checked in on each other, which they had really continued to be doing after the official end of this affair. They spoke for over an hour and even had phone sex just hours before Kay was murdered. Becky then began talking about the shooting at the physical therapy office the night of Kay's murder. She said that she and Chris decided to do this as a way to throw the police off the scent of Chris's involvement. Becky claims that Chris was never supposed to actually shoot her, just shoot near her, and he accidentally did shoot her, which actually reminds me a lot of the story that we talked about, Shanna Goyler and Carla Farver. Yeah, when we talked with Ali Sweeney, that story where the lady claimed that she was shot in the park. Like, right. you're bringing attention and on she yourself. she shot herself. Yeah. yeah. 
And there's so many things that can go wrong with this plan to like shoot yourself in order to throw the police off. That is not something I would be willing to do. Yeah, not something I would be willing to try out. But I love that like he wasn't even supposed to shoot her and he shot her twice. You've got to be thinking at that (laughs) point like, oh, well, this is not going to look like clearly you've screwed up some more and we're going to get caught. But I just how does that make things better? How does that take any and. I don't see where you're going with that. That just seems like it brings more attention on yourself that something happened. Not that you're a victim, but I think she just has this victim mentality and thinks that people will feel sorry for her and therefore not look into it a whole lot. For sure. So the police were not buying this whole I'm innocent story. And both of them were placed under arrest and Christopher was charged with capital murder while Becky was charged with conspiracy to commit murder. The district attorney intended to seek the death penalty on both of them. According to the taped interrogation, Becky was heard talking about how she wished Kay would die so she could be with David. The defense, however, was trying to get the taped confession thrown out due to the lack of recording when the batteries ran out of the recorder. I don't understand how the rest of it is not admissible still. Like what what they have is what they have. Well, here's the interesting part on this whole thing with the lawyers. Originally, they were going to try Becky and her son Christopher together. And there were these two lawyers who were brothers that had taken on the case. And they said, you know, hey, this is really circumstantial. There's no physical evidence. They can't find, you know, the bloody clothes you would have had. They can't find the stuff that was taken. You don't really have anything until they find out there's a recording and she just won't shut up on this recording. And so that's when the attorneys decided, I guess they looked into having them tried separately because they realized one of them's got a role on the other or whatever. You know, when they were together, it was like either they're both guilty or neither of them are guilty. But when they separate them now, one can be pitted against each other. So I thought that was interesting that once they heard the tape, they were like, well, crap, you know, this does change everything. So I can see how they were trying to get it thrown out. They had nothing. You know, it was very circumstantial until she just, you know, spills, spills the beans. So the judge denied the motion. And since the recording was going to be allowed, the defense wanted to reach a plea deal. So now there was not going to be a trial. In May of 2012, there was a plea agreement. Becky would plead guilty to conspiracy, admitting that she put her son up to murdering Kay, and Christopher would plead guilty to first-degree murder. Both of them would receive life without parole. In an attempt to possibly get a lighter sentence, Becky told her attorneys where they could find this backpack full of bloody clothes from the day of Kay's murder. In the backpack, which was received from Becky's mother's attic, the police found the bloody clothes as well as jewelry and valuables taken from both homes that were robbed that day. That's, I mean, so she knows going, it's the 11th hour, she's trying to save her butt, and so she tells her attorneys, hey, if you can work on getting me a lighter sentence, I can tell you where this evidence is. So it's never come up, but whenever she thinks she can get a sweeter deal, that's when she brings it up. Yeah. And one last twist to this story, the doctor Becky had worked with began going back through the books for his business and found that Becky had been stealing from him for years, to the tune of around $250,000. Michael, Becky's oldest son, also said that he had never stolen those checks from the office, that Becky had stolen them and was worried that she would get caught and lose her job. So she told Michael that if he didn't admit to it, she would lose the job, lose her money, and they would all be in trouble. So he took the fall for his mom for that, which she's just such a monster to put her kids up to these things and just terrible to throw your kids under the bus like that or even put them in these kinds of situations for your own like screw ups and things that you've done. It's just awful. Well, Michael said that she was very generous to them and like to Christopher. It was like, 
but it always came with a condition. I'm going to give you this motorcycle, but I might need something later. I'm going to give you this money, but I'm going to need something later. I'm going to give you this house, but I'm going to need something later. So all these things that she was giving and looked very generous on the outside and clearly was stealing from the office, which is now how really I think they probably could afford that second house. She knew that she was going to use him. She she knew like yeah, that's what that there was, was always strings attached. It's so sad because that's I love mother son relationships, little mother boys. I love you know having a little boy, and you have two little boys. I love that relationship, but I can't imagine you know using that to my advantage to have my son kill somebody for me. Come on, yeah, it's very outrageous. So Tony and Becky are now divorced and David has remarried and at the last reports, his son that he had with Kay had enlisted into the Marine Corps. Before we go, we are going to do our last thing before we go. And that is part of our show, if you haven't listened before, where we answer silly questions to kind of get rid of the murderous thoughts we just spoke to you about to leave you on a high note. So sometimes they're high notes, sometimes we just argue and that's just what we do. The first question is from Paula, our mayonnaise queen, and her question is, and I'm doing this by memory because I don't have it in front of me, who are we most excited about seeing or meeting at CrimeCon, people, podcasters, events, etc.? Mandy, who are you excited about meeting? And if you don't so see I- them, they're going to see you next week, and you're going to look like a jerk. <laughs> I know. So, of course, I'm the most excited to get to meet the Dateline crew. You guys know we had Josh Mankiewicz on our podcast a long time ago now. It's That was way back on like episode 20, I think, right? Or 21, somewhere around there. So that was so fun. And Melissa runs the Twitter, but she has a lot of good back and forth with the Dateline people. Whoever runs the Dateline Twitter is they're amazing. They're great. And I, they're, it's yeah. two people. I met them a few months ago, and they're the nicest people, but they're so funny. Like, they have the best social media team in the world, hands down. Yeah. So I'm just excited to even be in the same area or yeah. room with with them, of course, because these are, you know, we watch Dateline. It's just, you know, what we do. We just watch Dateline a lot. So it will be so fun to get to see them in person. There's, of course, a lot of podcasters I am excited to meet, but I don't I don't want to name any, like you said, because if I forget somebody, I'm going to feel really bad. So I'm going to let you take it away, Melissa. <laughs> are you ready to feel worse? The people I'm most excited to meet are listeners that come and meet oh us. So, yeah, well, of course, of course, them. <laughs> I didn't want to assume everyone knew that. So I thought I'd just add that in there. Um, yeah, no, I'm very excited to meet listeners. I'm excited to be weird around people. I am also very excited to meet the Dateline people that it's going to be super, super cool. And I'm excited to meet lots of podcasters. We've met um, Erica with Southern Fried True Crime, and she is lovely. And Stephen with Trace Evidence. Excited to see him again. And the Date with Dateline girls, I'm obsessed with them. They are – I have to actually stop because I'm going to go, like, into a whole rant about how much I love them, and I don't want to freak them out. But I'm very, very excited to meet them. Uh, There's so many other people. Josh from True Crime, Bad Word. Him too. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm so excited to meet Josh Hallmark. He is, like – He has a lot of amazing podcasts, and I love them all. He does, yeah. And he's, like, the – he is my favorite uh, Real Housewives giffer. So I'm very, very excited to see him in person. Lots and lots and lots of people. They have so many cool things going on there. It should be really, really fun. And we do have a meetup planned right now. It's called the Podcasters Happy Hour and Meetup. 
Saturday, June 8th, 8 to 11. I thought it was 1030. This is getting really late for me. (laughs) um, So we will have that posted on our social media. So if you want to find that, we'll have information on that. And there's going to be several podcasters there, listeners, and it's just going to be a meetup. It'll be casual and we can just be weird and you'll just be used to it. You'll be, you're used to it by now. You're listening to this still. My goodness, you are used to weird. So, okay, let's go on to something else. Mandy, one more question for the week. Great question, Paula. This is, this came from Twitter. This comes from Amber B., one of my favorite people I've met through the podcast. I love you all equally, whatever. But she asked, what movie from childhood messed you up the most? What did you kind of watch that freaked you out the most? Something like that. Again, I'm doing this one for memory, so this is kind of what I remember it being. Mandy, what what about you? I have to say Snow White. <gasps> really? I was – I yeah. I loved uh, all those classic Disney movies, you know, the ones from the 90s that all of us know. I love them all, but Snow White was so freaky. I feel like even in the beginning when the queen is just standing around and she has like the heart in the box and mm. that scene is creepy and then – that whole scene where she like turns into the ugly witch and she tries to go trick her with the apple. Yeah, you know what? You're awful. right. It was terrifying. I just thought it was so scary. And then I remember there's like one scene where it's like they're on like, I don't know. They're like, I'm, I haven't seen Snow White in a very long time, but they're like on a mountain and there's like lightning oh, cracking yeah. and the witch is there. And like the whole thing is very scary. I know it's a cartoon, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't like Snow White too much. Yeah, that one is very scary. I say, and I know this is Mandy's favorite movie, The Wizard of Oz is the most terrifying thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And I tried. It's so magical. I love The Wizard of Oz. Please do not talk trash about The Wizard of Oz. Excuse me. It's my favorite movie. Excuse me. As a child, seeing flying monkeys and seeing like good witch and bad witch and then people smashing people with houses and then it's black and white and now it's in color. It's very confusing. It is very, very confusing confusing and then I thought all witches were bad and now there's a good witch am I supposed to trust her I don't know this is a movie what do I do but yeah the, I just remember seeing the monkeys flying in and that terrified me terrified me terrified me terrified me I didn't watch it for a really long time also the movie beaches really messed me up as a kid that movie is what is that <gasps> I don't know what that is <sighs> okay who is in that movie Bette Midler and I cannot remember the other lady's name but she spoiler alert if you haven't seen it you're not going to see it now Two best friends grow up, they meet at a beach, they go through life things together, blah, blah, blah. One of them dies and the other one takes over her daughter. And the song, Did You Ever Know My You Were My Hero, is from that movie. Oh, I mean, I know the song. I just don't, I have never heard of that movie. Okay, this is very upsetting for me. It traumatized me as a kid. I got to watch it when I was way younger than I should at a sleepover and that, yeah, and then that will really, like, that will mess you up as a kid because you just don't think adults die and then all of a sudden this every adult in that movie is dying and they're having affairs and there's babies and you just don't know what's going on you don't know life is like that when you're eight years old turns out it's really like that what else do you have mandy oh my gosh okay this is when i was not a child i was a little bit older a teenager for sure at least but i don't know why this movie just popped into my head but have you seen that movie jaw the jawbreaker movie no i've never even heard of that Oh my gosh. I used to actually love the movie and I really want to watch it again now, now that I'm a little older. But yeah, they're like teenagers and they're all in high school and like the it's there's some really, really messed up themes in this movie, Melissa. That might be why you haven't seen it. I'm Googling it. Yeah, like the one of the friends gets like the they kill her like by accident. They're trying to prank her and they shove like a big jawbreaker in her throat and put tape over her mouth and it ends up getting lodged in her throat oh, and they kill her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen Rose this, McGowan, right? And yeah, so they yeah. like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go on this all this like crazy stuff to do that. I don't know why um, that just popped into my head about a movie that messed me up. I feel like I guess it messed me up subconsciously. It did. Also, Barbara Hershey was in Beaches, and I forgot her name. And also, Maya Bialik. I'm going to say her name wrong, but she was in that movie. She played Bette Midler as a kid. It's a great movie, but as an eight-year-old, the themes were a little old for me. I did not know all these things could happen to you, so that messed me up. And Wizard of Oz. So now that we've ruined your favorite movies, sorry, everyone, and I don't even know if that was the exact question that Amber asked, so my apologies for that. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. And before we go, we have a promo we're going to be playing for our friends with Going West. Make sure you check them out. And we are going to be at CrimeCon. Next time you hear from us, we will... No, actually, the next time you hear from us, we will have recorded again. We'll be home. No, we'll have recorded again, and then we'll be at CrimeCon. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. What's going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your other host, Daphne. And we're from Going West. A true crime podcast where we discuss various murders, disappearances, and unsolved crimes. We release new episodes every Monday, and each week we have a different case to dive into. You can find us over on Instagram at Going West Podcast. And on Twitter at Going West Pod. Listen to some of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash goingwestpodcast, where you can get exclusive bonus ad-free episodes every month. If you're looking for a new true crime binge, check out Going West. For everybody out there in the world, keep it real and stay weird. Cheerio. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.